feel that the Ryers just about to begin? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we've been anxiously waiting for it for about uh, you know, 358 days or so now uh, since since last year's Briar. So uh, we, we've had this one marked on our calendar all year, obviously. And, um, you know, excited to be back and, you know, really, uh, really motivated to, uh, you know, be one game better this time around. You pre-qualify. This is a new thing this year for the Briar, considering your rankings last spring in the Canadian team ranking system. How has that affected how your team has been able to prepare for this tournament? Yeah, it's for sure affected it a, a bit. I, I, I think this this new rule change is a great thing for curling and, and the provincial playdowns um, as a whole. So obviously very happy about that. And, um, you know, we, we've known for basically 11 months now since, since the end of the last prior that we're going to be already in this one. Um, so obviously it left a big gap in our schedule. We've been off. Uh, we haven't played a game in about six weeks here. Um, just not having to play the playdowns, and and we played a, a little bit lighter schedule as a whole this year. Um, you know, we we didn't have to go out and chase points for you know the wild card spots anymore that they gave out after provincials, and um, you know just allowed us to get together, train a bit more, um, you know, fine tune some things, and and you know hit hit the practice ice a bit more. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely. Had, had had some benefits in that sense and um you know i i think at this point though we're all ready to uh, get back out to compete again yeah there's i guess there's a balance of playing versus being rested and ready because we just saw at the scotties the two teams that pre-qualified rachel Holman and jennifer jones they were the best teams all week and they made the final yeah for sure and i mean you you look at you know the winners last year too were, were gushu and anderson and and they were both the teams that you know pre-qualified as team canada the year prior so um, you know, I, I, I certainly, uh, I certainly don't, wouldn't say it's a bad thing based on, based on recent track record, um, of, of the results at these events. And, um, you know, it, we, we all play enough games over the course of a year, over the course of our careers. Um, you know, you, you get a pretty good feel on, you know, what needs to be done out there and, um, you know, to, to get back in the garage, uh, per se to, to, you know, fine tune some things and, um, you, you know, that's, that's, that's where your progress is going to get made. So you mentioned that you've been looking forward to this since last year's uh, championship. You came so close in the final against Brad Gushu. What lessons do you still look back on from that experience of going undefeated, getting to the final, uh, and trying to apply that towards winning your first briar? Yeah, you know, I think getting that far with a first-year team and valuable experience, I mean, um, you know, it, it does nothing but, reassure all of us you know that that we have the right formula here to go out and win um you know that type of event having you know ran through the round robin and and you know put together some of our best stuff in the playoffs too um you know the, those types of experience you can't replicate you can't learn elsewhere um so so getting that alone um you know it, it just does nothing but make this group more confident um you know we've all played in big games before um, but but all elsewhere and you know to, to come together as a first year team to be able to do that um you know that that was kind of all the proof needed on our end um to you know just reassure us that this this team has what it takes and and you know we we were built to to win one of these things so uh you know we, we just got to keep giving ourselves opportunities and, and making these deep playoff runs and um you know at the end of the day whoever's whoever's playing best whoever's you know taking advantage of the opportunities is going to win it but um, you know, we, we just want to make sure we give ourselves that opportunity again. 
You get to start against Manitoba and Reed Carruthers slash Brad Jacobs. How do you like that for an opening game Saturday? Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, the old marquee matchup uh, by the event organizers there to, to get the ball rolling good on opening weekend. Um, you know, you know, it's exciting. We, I mean, we, we play Reed so much. Uh, like we, it feels like 10 plus times a year we're up, up against Reed. So, I mean, it's, it's a fitting start. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's exciting. We love playing against those guys and, um, you know, have a, have a good little rivalry there. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a perfect way in my opinion to get the Briar going, um, you know, high, high intensity competitive matchup right away. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. Playing the tournament in Regina. So you got to drive there, not too far for family to come watch and a place that uh, you represented Saskatchewan for a few years. So what's it like to be back in Saskatchewan curling again? Yeah, it's great. I mean, they're obviously going to put on a great show. I mean, you're curling anywhere in the prairies, you know, it's, it's the best, best place to be curling and, um, you know, to come back here. I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of familiar faces, um, you know, that, that I've obviously got to know and, and see over the years and in, in my time in Regina here. So I, I'm super excited for that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what the crowd's going to be like for sure. Um, and, and like you said, we have a ton of family coming up. So, I mean, uh, w- without it actually being within the borders, I'm, I'm hoping this is going to feel as much a, a, like a hometown briar as it can. Has Mike McEwen asked you for any advice of what it's like to be a Manitoba skip skipping Saskatchewan? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't heard from Mikey yet, but uh, he's he's been around. He's been around for a while, and and you know they've got a they've got a great little team over there. So, um, you know, I I think they're going to be going to be one of the teams that that is also making a deep run this week. I'm curious how you scout the competition going into a briar do you look at all the teams in your pool or are you like Carrie anderson who told us that she literally just like doesn't look ahead she just takes a look at who they play next and that's it that's all that's on her radar you know i i wouldn't say I'm, I'm like that at all i mean obviously take a look at the pools and you know kind of compare and contrast and and see when you kind of play your your big marquee matchups for sure um versus and just see you know how many two game days you have just just from a planning standpoint i mean you need to you need to look at the whole schedule um just so you can plan you know meals and and massage therapy things like that outside your day so definitely look at it all i mean <laughs> there's only so much you can do once you see it i mean the schedule is the schedule it is what it is when when you play who you play is is you know set in stone so um, you know, I have no, I have no issues looking at it all, seeing who we play when we play. I mean, I don't, I don't remember it off the top of my head for sure, but, um, def- definitely take a look at it, see what we're up against. And, and, you know, again, it just, it, it makes me more excited, um, you know, kind of getting a, getting to take a peek at the whole schedule and, and see how the week progresses. What's the ideal time to curl 9am, 2pm or 7pm? Oh God. Um, you know, I, uh, probably any I, I we love the 9 a.m draw this team um that's that that one's probably our favorite i mean you get out there and early early day and you know you get the, the whole day off after the fact uh unless you're playing twice that day but uh, I, I would say 9 a.m or 2 p.m um probably the the favorite draws to play because if you're playing at two that's your only draw of the day two two is for sure the only draw of the day and, and you know the nice thing about the the 2 p.m too is you have to go out for a nice little supper with the boys and, and have a little bit, have a little bit of fun. So, um, whereas that seven, I mean, you, you're getting back pretty late and by the time you're unwinding and, and whatnot, it's, it's pretty much past midnight at that point. So, 
Um, I, I would say and the 9 a.m. or the, or the 2 p.m. draw would, would be a personal favorite of mine. Because if, but if you're at, you know, you have the 2 p.m., that means you do have to probably play in the morning draw the next day. But, more than, more than likely. But you're okay getting up early in curling then. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, looking uh, just the, the experience surrounding the Briar, this is no longer, you know, your first rodeo. Just the, the atmosphere, the fans that you interact with over the course of the week. Is this the best week? for men's curling in our country? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's not even close. Um, just, I mean, it's, it's the biggest building we play in. It's the, the most attended building we play in. Um, obviously it's the highest stakes we're playing for the most, um, in, in terms of purse and, you know, prestige and, and obviously at the end of the day, everybody's goal here is to, to become world champion. And, and this is another step to, to do exactly that. So, I mean, uh, nothing else is, is really particularly close. I mean, everybody would would give away everything throughout the season to, to win this particular event. So, um, you know, this is this is what we play for. This is what we built our season season for. And, um, you know, anytime this week rolls around, uh, it uh, feels a bit like Christmas. For those of us who will never get to play at a briar like myself, the diff- what's the difference between the ice at just a regular old curling club, which is what most of us are used to compared to arena ice. Cause I always say on TV, arena ice is so much different. Yeah. <laughs> they say a lot of things on TV. I, um, yeah. you know, I, I think the, the, the biggest thing is definitely the amount of curl late, um, from the second hog line into the house. Um, there, there's more curl on an arena ice than you'd ever get in a curling club. Um, from a speed standpoint, curling clubs typically feel faster than, than the arena ice. Um, a lot of the times it's because the ice is a lot harder, um, in a, in a curling club, it's a little bit colder in there and the ice travels a lot or the rock travels a lot further. So typically the, the curling club is a fair bit faster than what you get on an arena. Um, but just curls a little bit less. And, and like I said, the snap, the, the amount of curl that you'll get hogline in on an arena um you know is, is a few feet more than than you'd ever see at a curling club so is that something you have to get used to when you start the week knowing that's going to be a little bit different than where you've been practicing and playing for most of the year yeah i, I think i mean we we play at least 50 plus events or 50 percent or more of our events in an arena um I, I think for us i think out of out of the nine events we play i think six have been in an arena um, so I, I mean, we're lucky enough that, you know, we get to see this all year, close to every year. Um, so there's, there's no real adjustment period for us. Um, I mean, obviously, obviously practicing a little bit on, on, on the curling club ice and, and then jumping into arenas a little bit, a little bit of a different feel early on, no doubt, but, uh, you know, they give us, they give us pre-event practice, uh, where I think we get 20 minutes on each sheet, um, that we're playing on, um, you know, prior to, so. I mean, after that, you, you get that feel back and, and, you know, at this point, know exactly, you know, what needs to be done to, to make ice on the surface. So the format is different again this year a little bit. Uh, the top three from each field still goes on. They've tweaked a little bit who plays who out of that, but no tiebreakers, no tiebreaker games this year. We saw at the Scotties just a just carnage in Pool A, a five-team pileup, and Caitlin Loss comes out of it because of the last shot draw. Do you like that the last shot draw is now the deciding factor in the case of uh, a long tiebreaker like that, or would you rather have a, a marathon of games? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really tough scenario. I mean, in a lot of cases, especially if we're going to compare it to the Scotties last week, um, I mean, if you have a, a five-team bonanza at four and four there and, and they got to play a bunch of games to, you know, just make the playoffs and then from there it's a bunch of must-win games. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, none of those teams are going to going to end up winning the championship. So, I mean, I, I on the time... Um, my personal opinion, I mean, I, I've never liked getting away with tiebreakers, um, which I know is going to contradict what I just said. I, I mean, I know as players, all we want to do is be able to play off and, and, you know, we can we can be OK with losing games. But, you know, ultimately, we, we want to go out there and, and compete to, to try and win and, and continue on. Um, but but like I said, I understand from an event organizer standpoint, um, you know, you have two, three draws of tiebreakers for you know, a bunch of teams who in the grand scheme of things are, are likely not going to win it. So, so I understand it there. Cause I mean, it, it's not like it doesn't cost money and, and resources to, to run these tiebreakers and whatnot. Um, but if, if there's ever a world where, uh, you know, we can bring them back, uh, you'll, you'll have my hand in the air voting for that. So does this change how much you care about the last shot draw or is that, does it change at all? Cause you, you want hammer. So you're always trying already. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you always want to put up a good score and, and, and be close. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, your your tiebreaker game is, is pretty much that, that last shot draw, right? So, I mean, that's that's something we've practiced a bunch over, over the last few months, um, over the last few weeks. And, you know, that's that's something we want to be really good at because, I mean, you, you never want it to come into play. But, uh, I mean, sometimes you don't have control over, over when it does. And, you know, when it does, you want to make sure you have a good score so you can be that team. And for those who don't know, and I guess you had here on this, how does it work? Do you, do you get any warm-up shots, or do you just show up on the ice, do you throw a draw, and that's it? Yeah, so before every game, we get a nine-minute practice, um, which is basically enough time to, to throw about 24 rocks or so. Um, so so we get that time prior to um, having to throw our last stone draw, so we'll, we'll, we'll throw, throw close to 24 rocks there, kind of break in the ice, get it up to speed um and then from there we uh, we throw two draws back to back uh, one each two guys throw in each game and um you know they they accumulate your score from there and and uh that that score is, is what you take by the end of the week I, I think you hold on to out of your 16 draws that you get to throw in your eight round robin games i think i think you hold on to 14. is it do you have sweepers yep you have sweepers it, it's it's full team shots okay um, and is on, it always these, you? Yeah. No, so uh, I, how it works is each guy has to throw uh, one of each turn or two of each turn, sorry, um, throughout the week. So so every every person on the team has to get at least a couple interns okay. in, a uh, couple out turns in. And, and so we, we kind of strategize with that prior to the event um, as well. And, and that's another thing, like when, when you asked about looking at the schedule prior, you. I mean, that's that's all just all part of the planning is is we already have laid out you know which guy's going to throw where um what turn everything on on that draw to the button cool well matt appreciate your time thanks for this and best of luck at the event hey christian you bet thank you what is life like in the united kingdom right now oh that's a great question well i'll tell you it is cold it is dark and it is wet <laughs> um it rains a lot not a lot of sunlight um but no it's 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 been it's been an enjoyable process so far living over here um first year overseas obviously so no it's been it's been 
not too much culture shock. Obviously, living in the English speaking country or English speaking place is nice. Um, but no, I mean, it's very, I, I'll be honest, the weather and all that stuff is very similar to Vancouver, where I'm from and whatnot in Kelowna. So, like, you know, not too much change, but it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's been fun. Yeah, adapting to the different style of play, um, new area to live. It's been fun, like fully being on my own and like really living for myself. So that's been that's been enjoyable. Yeah. So why did you want to give the UK a shot and as a place to play pro ball? Um, well, I mean, the, an easy place to start with that is I've heard a lot of I've heard a lot of other pros tell me like how much the language barrier does make a difference. I mean, that wasn't the deciding factor for me, obviously, but I will say after being here, how, how much that has helped um, just with like, not just living, but actually developing on the court, being able to speak with your coaches and your teammates, like thoroughly without having to have any issues, which has been nice. Um, But to be honest, I mean, I've heard this league is really good for, um, your, for rookies to kind of make a name for themselves like there's a lot of leagues out in Europe that are you can call them kind of like I call them trampoline leagues or like feeder leagues and this is a great league to start for a rookie to to prove himself because it could lead to so many bigger opportunities um knowing that a lot of eyes are in this league so and I also know Manchester is like a it's been a it's been the franchise has been around for a while um it's pretty and it's highly respected so um wanted to give it a chance out here and it was uh it was a lot of ups and downs but um no i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed the style of play and adjusting and it was fun it was a fun challenge um but yeah i just thought it was a great opportunity to not only play the role that i want to show this the net my next team's coaches that i can play but also yeah just trying to prove myself that I, I'm, I'm a pro to stay you know not just to here for a stint so and how would you say your game has developed here in your first, I guess, first basketball outside of Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I can say that I've taken the biggest leaps in my game that I've ever taken in my career. And that's awesome because, like, growing up, I kind of had this idea that when you're a pro, like, the development stages are over. So I, when I got here and I went through the whole process of playing my first year, I realized wow, not only was I so wrong, but like the most I've ever improved in one year. And I would have got the same like my first five years of development. So um, I've seen and like I've seen the same the game slow down like a crazy amount. And when I say that, it's just like at the college level. I feel like you're playing chess and it's, it's a cliche saying, but it really is that that is a good comparison with the level of complexity that it takes to make reads at this level as a point guard. Um, I had to start learning how to play check, uh, checker or sorry, chess instead of checkers and having to move pieces and see four passes ahead. So I did a really good job of slowing the game down and making the most out of each possession. Cause a lot of like, there's a lot of bad habits I picked up just from being in youth, just, just from my youth, I guess uh, playing all through college. Whereas at this level, you have such a demand, in a short amount of time to produce for each minute you're out there where I never really understood the business side of it. Whereas like if I'm getting paid to play, I need to produce for the minutes I get. Whereas in college, it's, you know, there's not a real emphasis on that. It's, it's, there's a little bit of emphasis, but now when it's real life, you know, I, I, and it might sound like a, like a simple theory, but for me, it changed everything. The way I thought about the game, I was like, okay, well, if I'm only out there for five, 10 minutes, I need, I need to make sure I'm producing. I'm, I'm finding guys, I'm making the right reads. So, um, I, I, I would say the decision-making, the decision-making, learning 
what reads to make and and I've seen it really up up the level of my game so so being over there as a 24 year old are you one of the youngest mm-hmm. players on your team yeah, uh, yeah I'm, well other than an academy player who's 18 I'm the youngest yeah so what's that like then at being a rookie being from a different country coming in and and having to fit in with older guys who've probably been playing longer I, that's a, I mean it's funny because I I had this experience my first year in the CEBL where I was like, I'm playing with a guy who has a kid who's I'm not that much older than, you know, so like I had to get used to that. Um, but that's what the CEBL really did help me um, with that adjustment. And, and shout out to the CEBL and Mike Morali for that, because when I got over here, a lot of the guys said they don't see me as a rookie, which was a huge compliment for me, which just means like all the work and experience for my first two or three years in the CEBL really prepared me for this because they were surprised at the fact that, um, I was seeing reads that most first years weren't seeing defensively and offensively. Um, and that goes back to what I was saying before, what I improved with, you know, so, um, but that, that really is a huge factor because you go from being in a university team where it's kind of like the movie high school type vibe where it's like, you're always with your best friends, hanging out, doing whatever you do when then you come here and it's like, all right, I see these guys for two hours of the day and then I'm completely on my own. And not only that, I'm having to like, they're not buddy buddy, you know, like they're, we're completely different ends of the spectrum of being a human being, you know? So, um, but it's been fun. Like I, I'm getting perspectives I've never got, like I'm, I'm getting to learn from people who have kids and how they view the game. And it really does make a difference the way you see things. Um, and, and I've never been around such like knowledgeable veterans. Like I've had good veterans, but it's just like being able to play with guys that are 36 that have played in the same league for 10 years, you, you just hear things you would never hear otherwise. So like to answer one of your last questions, you asked me, like, I got so much better moving off the ball because I got to talk to a 39 year old veteran every day or 37 or whatever he is, 37 year old veteran. And he's telling me all these things about off the ball movement and how to cut when you don't have the ball. And you asked me that three years ago, I would have said, I don't care. And then this year I realized, Oh man, if I do this, it's making my whole, my team this much better you know so i feel like the biggest adjustment to not only getting to learn how to just be around them but realizing that they're just a great source of wisdom i think that was probably the biggest takeaway for me so you've signed with the winnipeg sea bears now first of all uh tell us why winnipeg i mean it's it's no secret to players in the cbl that the experience i got last year playing in that arena was mind-blowing i've never seen a crowd like that like i've i went back home and i told my dad you know i I felt like i was in my first nba game you know like it was super cool so that was an experience i kind of like had etched etched in my memory but um the same time i the fact that mike has been recruiting me the last three years in this league to play for him um and him coming after me with the excitement and like trust that he came with after me this year I just knew like you know he's given me all this trust the last three years he's really shown the excitement and the want to work with me and um, to me that's a huge tell when when the coach when the head coach and the player connection is really good that's always a good sign um, and and you know looking at the owners and the GM and, and, and how they all speak about things and then you ask the players how they speak about things it's nothing but amazing things being said and from a actual development and performance side of things, I just think I can add exactly what this team needs 
to make them to get them over that hump you know I, I know exactly what I bring and I believe I'm going to bring it at a higher level than I've ever brought and I think it's going to be a great compliment to Teddy Allen and, and, and Alex Campbell and I and I'm super excited I think we have a great group uh, great personality so far from what I've seen um, and I think we're going to mesh well so last year you played in Calgary it was your technically third year though your first year just a couple games second really full mm-hmm. year in the CEBL you get to the final with the surge mm-hmm. losing to Scarborough in the final getting mm-hmm. to to go on that run with the surge how do you think that helped in your pro development here as you're now done with school now you're in the UK coming back to Winnipeg really a full-fledged pro now yeah um it's funny you say that because I've been trying like for two years I tried to figure out what was like the final like like what what makes a guy go from a good basketball player to a professional like where is that line drawn and I've been trying to like try to understand how to approach the game mentally for a while and um it's funny because I don't think I had a double digit scoring game all season last year until the semifinals against Vancouver Bandits which was like our one of our biggest games of the season and I just realized like hold up I can do all these things that I was doing at college I can score on these guys I can I can get to my spots against these guys and the only thing it took for me to realize that was like nothing was holding me back physically. It was all just mentally. Like it's funny because it's, it's a cliche thing. It's people say confidence is one hell of a drug, but like when you put in the time to watch the film and you, you start to realize, okay, I've made the shot a million times. And then you see it happen on a big stage like that. You realize you're not that far from all these guys. You're, you, you can hang with all these guys just because you came from clone or like all these beliefs I used to have in my head. I kind of had to learn how to scrap. And I just had to be like, okay, you're no longer a kid from Kelowna. You're, you can hoop, you can bet, you can play just like all these guys. And so, and that's what the CEBL's really done. Because to be honest, up until the CEBL, I never saw a player like Teddy Allen. I never saw a high level score like Justin Wright Foreman. Like I never saw guys of that level. So for me, I think all it was last two years is just getting a chance to see it up close, and then getting a chance to see, okay, I match up with these guys physically what what's missing what what are making these guys better okay there's a little there's a few skill gaps here and there but it's just it's, it's all mental these guys believe that they're the best player in the gym every time they step in the gym um and they shoot every shot like they're Kobe Bryant and you know I I felt like I I took huge strides in playing just like I was playing in college and this year with Manchester I really started to see it play out you know getting more high scoring games against top level teams and and, and Playing as if I'm not playing to lose, but just playing for the love of the game. And and, and I believe I finally kind of got over that hump of finally becoming a pro. And I, that's why I'm excited for this summer, because I feel like this is going to be my time to really break out and become the pro I know I could be. So I'm curious, from your perspective of someone who started in university at Trinity Western, pretty much right as yeah. the CBL became a thing, Yeah, when, you, when you're going to university at first, there isn't really a pro league in Canada. Mm-hmm. You're, I don't know how much you think about your future when you're in your first year of university, but as you mm-hmm. go along, how cool was it to see that this league was flourishing and, and how much of, of that was a, something for you to strive for as you went through your university career to say, hey, I can I can play pro ball here in Canada now? That's fine. I think that's my, this is my favorite question because I think about this so much. Um, it's funny. So in my first year, 
I had this crazy um, experience where I wrote down I wanted to become a professional in like the next two to three years. Like, and it was like a little mental goal. Like, I just wanted to become, like we just talked about, a professional, like in my habits and everything. And it's funny because I, I, I got a, not a call. I think it was a call from the, the coach of the band. It's like three weeks later, before the league was even started, after I wrote down this goal. And I was like, hey, this league's starting called the CEBL. It's going to allow you to keep your amateur status and become a pro in the summers. And I was like, wow, I just wrote this goal down. And like that, when I wrote that goal down, that was like my commitment to be like, hey, I don't, I know I'm in Canada playing in U sports, but I want to make a path. And like I committed my life to making a path for kids to see like you, you can be a homegrown talent. You can stay in Canada. You can stay in your province and you can dominate and you can get to where all these guys are getting to from the McDonald's All Americans and all that. And I made that commitment to myself. And it's crazy because it felt like the world kind of just helped me create that path. It's really what it feels like. Um, because like, I know for a fact, I would not have been ready for this year overseas if it wasn't for my experience in the CBL. And I can say that like with utmost confidence. And I think that's such a powerful thing because like, I'm still trying to understand and conceptualize more like what kind of opportunities this league is going to bring because all, all I used to hear growing up was don't like you only stay in Canada if you're not good enough. But now I can talk to kids and be like, listen, you can go try to test your luck at a division one college. But if you're that guy and you can be a big fish in a small pond and you get picked up by the CEBL, I can get like, I will say this with all certainty. I guarantee you the player that plays in Canada and gets four years of summer experience in the CEBL will always beat the division one that's fresh out of college every time. And I, I can say that just because of the experience. I've seen these the Division One rookies just so fresh and uh, and haven't seen the professional landscape. And it goes back to decision-making, the defensive concepts. Like there's so many things that you just have to learn to pick up on the, on the fly as a pro that aren't important details in college. And, um, and I just think the fact that this is a thing it is it's it's untapped potential i still don't know how powerful it's going to be and i think we're going to see a big shift in high level canadians staying in canada because ain't no division one kid competing with teddy allen on a nightly basis with refs in between you know the out of bounds lines like that's a if you if you could tell an 18 year old kid from the university of winnipeg hey you get a chance to compete with teddy allen every summer i mean that is priceless you know so Absolutely. Well, Mason, thanks for this. Appreciate it. Good luck with everything in Manchester, and we'll see you when you get to Winnipeg in a couple months. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to